Welcome back, everyone, to the Gravidow podcast. I am pleased to be joined by McDavid from Aperture Finance today. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this one. Our good friend at Gravidow, Jonas, put us in touch. He said, definitely speak to Aperture. And so I'm looking forward to getting the details of the project, the strategies that you guys are doing, and how you've rebuilt from you know, what happened with Terra that we all experienced. Um, so before we get into the details of Aperture, would you mind just quickly introducing everyone to yourself, where you came from, how you got into the crypto space and your journey on the way? I guess my intro to the crypto space was fairly late um, as far as like actually having skin in the game goes, but I was following it, um, you know, as early as 2012. Um, funny story, the first ever crypto seizure by the u.s government any government you know agency from like the federal down to the state level that first seizure happened in an apartment that i used to live in in college nice uh, so i was i was in school in charleston south carolina and yeah after i moved out like a few tenants later there's this guy in that building who was like you know doing silk road stuff and got caught um and he made national headlines for being the first ever like bitcoin seizure um wow so obviously like very aware of the earliest like practical use case of crypto but yeah i was not personally involved in the space until uh all the way till 2020 so i started at my last role i was running like kind of like product marketing and partnerships sort of a hybrid role at smart news which is a news aggregator. It's very big in Japan, um, but also has, you know, very solid DAU in the US. But anyways, um, I was put in charge of researching the kind of market opportunity for a more crypto web three tailored news aggregator experience. Um, this is something I think people in crypto are quite familiar with. Like you have to be very active on Twitter, YouTube, et cetera, podcasts, there's not really great traditional media coverage mm -hmm. of the industry. And I think a lot of the publications, honestly, that are crypto native aren't great either. They're all pretty spammy in my opinion. Um, so we were trying to find, figure out like, what is the opportunity here for this uh, growing asset class, growing technological movement that has tons of users and there's not really a great source of truth or information yet. So I spent like over nine months at Smart News working on this product. And during that time, I kind of started going down the DeFi rabbit hole as this project starts to bleed into 2021. And, you know, DeFi is really taking off, the markets in general were taking off and, uh, you know, starting to see the writing on the wall that this large <laughs> kind of slow tech company I was working for was not gonna implement anything anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what, there's all this VC funding flowing into Web3 startups. I should really just start putting out feelers um, to see like who in my network is connected to the space. And like, sure enough, an old colleague of mine connected me to the Aperture Finance team. That was back in December, January. Uh, so 2021, 2022. And um, back then, the founders were still at their like big tech jobs. They were still at Google and Amazon and like working on this on the side but they had just started to raise some money. And yeah, I, I started, um, came on full-time in March as the first full-time employee at Aperture Finance. Um, and yeah, that's kind of my 
my own winding journey here to working in DeFi. Your arc there, and I, it's crazy that you experienced what was the College of Charleston down there. Yeah, <laughs> some, yeah, yeah. some DGen going to that school. <laughs> yeah. who, who knows what with Bitcoin? Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and it looks like he got caught, and you got to witness that his piece of history? Question mark. Um, but yeah, yeah. That certainly puts things in perspective in the incredibly early days. Uh, that is pretty wild. And then, yeah, you are correct with the whole information, uh, the public information stream of, of crypto articles. And I've gone back in time and looked at some of the some of the more now fleshed out, I'd say, but there's still a lot of clickbait with like price action and not really quality. It's more so just very low level information. It's tough to really figure out what's going on behind the scenes, a lot of projects. And so there was definitely that that need for that as, as you know, media companies came online and were looking to build that out. And then it's it's great to see how you then were able to take that whole entire just thought process and, and translate it to go into the DeFi space. Um, but getting into Aperture now, um, do you mind just giving the founding story of Aperture Finance? Uh, why was it created? How did it begin? And then could you transition that into, you know, what is it? Yeah. So just real quick. So Aperture Finance is basically like an omni-chain or chain agnostic structured products protocol. Um, and structured products is, I guess it's a term I sort of resisted at first, but the more and more I think about it, I think it is the appropriate moniker for what we do. And a structured product is a TradFi term that describes sort of like a complicated financial instrument that probably has some kind of futures contract tied to it. Um, And it's designed to perform in TradFi, they're designed to perform for a certain type of market. And we see that being pretty similar for crypto as well. Like these structured products can get very solid yield, um, you know, in the 20 to 40% range when you're, you're in a vault that's aligned with the current market conditions, whether that be a sideways crab market or a bull market or a bear market. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the story of how Aperture kind of fell into this space is basically the uh, the three technical co-founders were sort of like video game buddies. Uh, they were all living in Silicon Valley. The team is fully docked. We're based in Mountain View, California, which is Silicon Valley for those who aren't familiar. Um, and yeah, the, the, the technical co-founders were like playing video games together and they started like, while they were playing video games, dabbling with DeFi stuff, and the team was already fairly averse in, you know, cr- you know, trading, buying and hodling crypto. They'd been doing that for a while, and even one of the founders had actually previously run a mining company a few years earlier. So they, you know, were very well versed in the space. But DeFi was taking off, and this was still even a year ago, uh, a relatively new concept for most people, um, and. The Terra narrative was also really taking off at this point as well. And um, I think essentially what happened is they saw a video by Donku R about a year ago, who was really the first Terra influencer to mention this uh, anchor mirror Delta neutral strategy, which was basically like greedy anchor earn or anchor earn on steroids. and so all that kind of like headwind you saw, or tailwind, I should say, of institutional investors, whales, like retail degents going into Anchor Earn, those people were like kind of catching wind of this way to juice 
the APR, APY from that strategy by setting up a delta neutral position on mirror the synthetic mm -hmm. stocks protocol as well. And so what they decided to do is like, you know, we could automate this. Like we know how to go about executing that on chain. And like, while that's basically, and that itself is like an entire protocol. And there are other versions of this strategy that exist elsewhere that, that could be automated as well. So like, let's go raise money basically. Um, and so with that in mind, they started pitching investors, I think back in like Q4 of last year and then started, had money raised by Q1. Um, and yeah, and then we launched this Terra Delta neutral strategy and I think it was March was when we went into private beta. Um, and that strategy peaked at like 120 million in TVL prior to the DPEG. Um, oh. So we got a really good look at like product market fit um, yeah. as there were most of those users, most of that 120 million TVL came from people who are running the strategy manually and knew how cumbersome it was to like constantly have rebalance things. And like, there's a chance you fuck something up. And then, you know, there's also just some things that are hard to do. Like if you wanted to enter the position with size, you could create a bunch of slippage. And the way Aperture ran the vault, you know, there's an atomic transaction mm -hmm. for the long and short at the same time. So you avoided that. And I guess just to briefly describe the strategy for no one, for people who aren't familiar with it, you would, you know, put, uh, you know, you would get AUST, the collateral token for, from Anchor Earn, and use that to set up a short position on a synthetic stock on Mirror. And then you'd use some other UST to just outright long that same synthetic stock. Um, and so, you know, you marry the stablecoin sale, the UST sale from the, the short position with that long position to LP farm. And, you know, the combination of the anchor earn 20%, the inflationary rewards tokens for shorting and longing on mirror, plus the, you know, the LP fees on, uh, for the, the, the token pair, you know, all that combined, it made this like ridiculous, like 35 to 40% APR. Um, that was super attractive and we had everyone from like Terra YouTubers to like fucking Celsius or had put money <laughs> really? into, this, into this strategy. Yeah. And yeah, it was super popular. And of course, DPEG happened. It was a shame, but uh, it sort of accelerated what our vision already was, which is we wanted to be cross chain and have strategies on Solana and, you know, mm -hmm. the, the Ethereum chains as well and yeah that basically just accelerated our roadmap after the dpeg happened and we uh launched our first post terra classic strategy two weeks ago uh, it's still in private beta as of recording but um yeah we're hmm. excited to be back and it's a it's a we're calling it a crab market leveraged yield farming strategy and it's native to avalanche hmm yeah, so what I do love about what you've built here is that when people who want to go down that, you know, yield farming, or some people say DGen, DeFi, or as you said, anchor on steroids, um, it, it, there's always that risk of one custody. And if people don't really know what they're doing, easy way for them to lose money. Two, they actually have to go out and figure out these strategies and they have to go through people who have come up with them. And so either you're looking through Medium posts or you're watching people like Donkey who does great work. But at the end of the day, I think everyone who wants to go for these types of plays, it would be just amazing if they could one click 
accessibility. Yeah. Right. And so I think, I think for, for those who are trying to get into either like yield farming or looking at these strategies and has tabs upon tabs open of different, different ways in which they can look at markets. It's great that you guys are providing an option where it's literally just like, all right, here we are, we have all these things listed out uh, and we're trying to provide, you know, here's the estimated yield on this. And, you know, in certain markets, this will work, certain markets, it won't work, but um, you're basically making this way more accessible to the everyday user, which I think in terms of the decentralized aspect of DeFi, I think is, is an important little piece there. Moving into that, actually, and just asking about DeFi in general, looking at the current trends of the market right now, what do you guys think are some of the key issues with DeFi when it comes to uh, not only accessibility, but maybe just looking at the long-term prospects of it? Um, I guess, what are the most pressing issues? Is it things such as education, underlying value, some of the accessibility? Um, do you think projects have mapped out their products enough at this point? Where do you guys sit on the current state of DeFi? I guess just to think, like, take a step back. So from Aperture's perspective, we're not currently building any, like, bait, and this could change in the future, full, full disclosure, mm -hmm. but we're not currently building any like core architecture like we're not building a dex we're not building a lending protocol we're building on top of dexes and lending protocols so we're creating these sort of like automated solutions that are taking advantage of you know an existing protocols architecture so that's what we do and then yeah. our main goal like the thing that's going to make our you know private sale token holders happy and eventually during the public sale those token holders happy is aperture having a ton of tvl and mm -hmm. um, TVL, th there's lots of things that go into it other than like, are we in a bull market for DeFi or not? But one of the big things is uh, like, does this strategy have a lot of hype around it like already? Is there already a lot of people talking about this specific angle? And we saw that with the Terra Classic strategy. And right now, like you see that there's not as much of this right now since DeFi is in a little bit of a, you know, a bit of a winter at the moment, but there are some narratives out there that are still pretty powerful and strong, like this whole GMX uh, real yield solution. And mm -hmm. there's lots of different strategies you could build on top of GMX for people who want to get it, get exposure to like the, the fees that GLP accrues. Um, but from our perspective, what we're seeing right now in DeFi is, uh, there are fewer like truly blue chip protocols that you can build on top of. And when you're, when, when things are in a bull market, we kind of like forget about this. We're like, Oh my God, there's a bunch of TVL that popped up here. Even though the protocol has been alive for six weeks and you're just like, you know, chasing this like insane wave. Right. But once that all comes crashing down and you realize things like, like Aperture in particular, we were super burned by mirror protocol. Um, this, I don't know. If you're really in the weeds on Terra, you would have probably saw this news, but Mirror, it came out during all the DPEG hoopla that Mirror had been exploited like months prior and there was not enough uh, liquidity in the like the lock contract. Basically, there was not enough liquidity for people to exit Mirror because it had been exploited. Someone had to like, come in and like cleaned out all the UST that was sitting in that contract. Mm. Um, and that caused a lot of headaches for Aperture. And you know, one of the big learnings from this is that if you're building on top of top of another protocol, you need to make sure they have a really solid 
they can't just be audited. They can't just have like a team that sounds good. You have to like be really confident that this is a solid protocol that's not going to burn you when the market turns. Um, so I, I think that's one thing we're seeing right now is DeFi currently needs, there needs to be more blue chip names with solid teams that other protocols can build on top of. Other protocols can further like advance mm -hmm. the narrative of because right now everyone's new. Like th there's tons of new protocols, tons of new stories and new teams. And that's, it's like overwhelming for even someone who's deeply ingrained in the space. Um, it's overwhelming for us to know like which of these two projects is worth potentially partnering worth. But it's also, you know, overwhelming for if you're like a family office or some kind of like new, newish whale to the space who wants to look at DeFi yields. Like, how do you know which of these protocols is like truly blue chip? Like there's obviously right. some big names out there people have heard of, but um, yeah. So I think that's probably from our perspective, the thing that needs to happen the most is we need there to be just a bit more time, a bit more trust built into the community. We need some like brand names to emerge um, that have like a, a healthy track record and can, can survive hacks, can survive different types of markets and still come out and have a good reputation. Um, and that just takes time. Like, you know, I th think that problem will eventually work itself out as we progress forward. But I would say, yeah, in addition to like some of the other big narratives right now, like the need for real yield, we obviously are on board with that. You know, inflationary mm -hmm. rewards tokens can kind of like convince you that you there's a good strategy you can build. The back of napkin math looks good, but when you realize half of that yield is predicated on some kind of like ship coin that's going to, has a ton of sell pressure on it. Um, that's not going to look good in a in a more sideways or bearish market. Mm -hmm. um, then it's better to have strategies that are more predicated upon real yield. So we totally agree with that narrative as well. But we're not the only person talking about that right now. Yeah. So there's a couple of things there, and and the first being um, looking at things like real yield. We'll see where that ends up going. And that, I think that definitely adds a, an interesting layer to DeFi and, and said, idea that instead of more of the slightly, as some would say, Ponzi-nomic um, tokenomics of some of, the, of some of these DeFi applications, which it also is, is this thing with, you know, the whole creative destruction theory as well, that um, as a lot of these protocols blew up in the most recent cycle, um, we're going to hopefully see more matured ones come in and take their place that can then hopefully go on and last. But also it's tough from your perspective and it's tough from the perspective of lunatics that what was nice about Terra at the time with all these DeFi protocols launching is that people knew who the, the faces behind a lot of these projects or they knew someone else who knew them. And there was enough of a network there where it was still a large community, but there was also a pretty solid core where you could tell who was legitimate and who was not. Um, and I think it's tough, especially going out into the broader DeFi crypto world and trying to enter other chains and, I, and yes Terra is building back but obviously people are going to be going off another reason for all other reasons as well um, you know controversy aside um, but it's tough it's tough certainly to to value some of these things and you know you look at a lot of the DeFi 1.0 protocols and Ethereum the salt like for example take like Ave which has so far been through two vicious cycles and looks to be mm -hmm. holding up pretty well. So a lot to be said for that, but also, you know, there's only so much innovation that can be done on some of those. And 
we don't really quite know where things could be headed for the entire DeFi space. But yes, I do agree that the the whole yield, the sustainable yield um, narrative is definitely taking off. I wonder what will happen when we eventually do reach another bull mania phase, uh, whether it's a year, two years, three years, four years down the line, um, and what kind of projects come out of that. But you know, you'd hope that as on top of that, there'd be a lot of projects new, but also those in the past who have been through this or are building to the bear market. Um, and have gone through some of the trials and tribulations. I do also want to ask you, you did mention a strategy on the new Terra, and I'm curious to learn a little bit about that. Can you share? I know it's in private beta or public beta, but do you mind sharing some details of that strategy? Yeah, so the strategy we actually just launched is native to Avalanche. Mm -hmm. um, it's, and I'll get into Terra 2 in a second, but yeah, so that strategy, just to quickly cover it, um, it's built on top of Alpha Homura. B2, which is a leveraged yield farming platform. And so basically what the strategy does is it allows you to like LP on AVAX stable pairs with 3x leverage. Um, so you put in $100 and now you're farming $150 AVAX to $150 of whatever stable coin. Um, uh, the trick to the strategy though is you obviously have to rebalance as AVAX moves in price. Um, you risk liquidation on one side and you risk like realizing a lot of impermanent loss on the other side. So mm -hmm. what this vault does is it automatically rebalances as AVAX moves in price and also will reinvest um, the, the fees accrued to compound the yield into the strategy. Um, yeah, we're calling this a crab market leverage farming vault. Uh, there's a similar vault on Alpaca. They kind of call it like a pseudo to neutral strategy, but I think it's misleading. You need to be really upfront that this strategy works in a crab market. Um, when volatility kicks up, uh, the yields aren't as good, but mm -hmm. the strategy for us, is super optimized for a crab market. So if things continue to trade relatively sideways, you know, I can see solid 20 to 40% hmm. APYs on that strategy. And yeah, we will eventually be adding like one click cross chain support for Terra 2 and Solana and wow. BSC and other EVM chains um, uh -huh. through our cross chain module, um, which is actually something we had. It was under audit when the DPEG started. We were going to have it so you could one click in from most EVM chains into that Terra Classic Delta neutral strategy. Hmm. Um, so that kind of like architecture was mostly built out actually back in Q2, but we're reviving it here in Q3 for the new strategy. Awesome. And then could you, are you allowed to share any details about the Terra 2 strategy or? Yeah. So the Terra 2 strategy to start, it's basically just going to be, we'll allow, uh, you know, users of Terra 2 with stable coins to one click into these yield strategies mm -hmm. outside of Terra 2. Um, there is something we can't share yet that could be like more of a structured product that would be native to Terra 2. But um, as you can imagine, for a really early chain, like Aperture being a structured products protocol, we need other protocols to build on top of. Yeah. And currently, Terra 2 doesn't have anything yet that we could really like automate a strategy on. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, as soon as like this other thing where that's sort of not yet public this live you'll probably hear something from us on twitter about what it's our a secret are. folks keep an eye out for that one yeah awesome yeah and i do want to actually speak about one one thing i do enjoy speaking about on this podcast and when we speak to projects that were impacted by the collapse like ourselves at gravidow 
It's just how they got back from that and what the trials and tribulations were and the stories that people had. So if you don't mind going into it, could you just take us to that fateful week in May when everything yeah. seemed to everything seemed to be burning and everyone was running around screaming, not knowing what was happening. If you don't mind, could you go into where you were personally in that moment, uh, how your team then reacted to some of this? Um, and then what was it like just from a, from a team point of view, communicating with others interested in your protocol? How did you then communicate to the public and say, yeah, we're going to keep building, we're going to keep pushing on? Just bring us to Hell Week. When the DPEG initially started, I think for the first 48 to 72 hours, we were mostly uh, not panicking at all, really. I would say we were kind of like, oh, it's DPEG before. It's going to come back. It's Terra. All the VCs love it. Like, there's no way this thing's going to totally lose peg. We'll be fine. And that was, I mean, I put my money where my mouth was there. I was actively buying UST, thinking I would getting it at a discount. And mm -hmm. same thing with Luna. I was still buying up some Luna as well. Um, but things started to turn, I think, midweek when you started to see, like, some bigger discrepancies and the DPEG started to get off by like, you know, it went to 80 cents, it went to 60 cents. Like once we started to get into that range, we quickly were like, oh shit. Um, <laughs> this isn't good. And I mean, prior to that happening, users were already showing up full force in Discord and, and full-blown panic mode. Mm. Um, and right around the time we started to like, question things ourselves is when the mirror lock contract issue really came into question. And at that point in time, we did not know it had been exploited. There were a couple theories floating around, but people were having trouble exiting any mirror CDPs. And um, what you did know was that as new money came into mirror, that was providing the exit liquidity basically. And so this created uh, like a really big bottleneck. So basically someone had to open up a new CDP, a new short position on mirror for any liquidity to show up in this lock contract that is required for anyone to exit a position on mirror or on aperture. Um, so this made it a really big bottleneck. So like mega whales and institutions were fucked because uh, no one was putting in capital with enough size for them, what they're like, 500k plus million plus up to 10 million dollar positions to exit um God. but smaller investors could get out if you were actively on top of things you and you were like refreshing the lock contract <laughs> like terra scan page like every 10 seconds and we would post in discord like as liquidity came in we'd be like oh there's eight thousand dollars in the lock contract like you know small positions get out right now if you're if you're reading this um so that was going on. And of course, uh, the really big issue we had to fight was that people were angry and Mirror was effectively a ghost ship. Like TFL had really backed away from having any like proper CS or proper, proper public persona for Mirror prior to the DPEG happening. Um, Mirror already had a ton of problems. Like there was just lots of issues going on with Mirror and, and no good solutions and not really an active developer team. Um, so all that being said, of course, Mirror is also like 
the last thing on Doquan or the TFL's team's mind while right. the, they were in the war room fighting the the peg situation. We started to interrupt. So, quick, but when was the mirror? When did the mirror exploit occur? Was this weeks prior? No, I think it actually occurred in 2021. Like, wow, I want to say like October, November, December, like sometime in Q4, I believe. Um, I thought I thought I've heard about this, but I didn't know it was that. It was that far from when everything went down in terms of the collapse. Yeah, and no one like no, no one, one knew. No one knew for months, which is kind of like insane in, in its own right. Um but yeah, basically though, during that hell week, before we knew it was an exploit, and even afterwards really, lots of users come to were coming to us like upset that they couldn't exit and they were sort of blaming aperture. And like, no matter how, like, no matter how we explain things to them, they just like couldn't accept that there was nothing Aperture could do. Um, and so we kind of, I mean, that in itself was a big learning. But I, you know, there was also, I will say, about another half of the users that totally understood. Mm -hmm. I am using Aperture to and to run a strategy on Mirror and Anchor. Aperture has no control over Mirror and Anchor. They're just mm -hmm. like a tool. Um, sort of like, if the US. A good analogy we tried to make during this was like Aperture was like TurboTax and Mirror and Anchor were like the US government. And ultimately, if you didn't get your refund, like screaming at TurboTax was not going to solve anything. No. Um, but people like decided they wanted to do that anyways. So that was quite stressful. Yeah. And that's something we're, we're still dealing with today because there's no one to yell at for Mirror. So Aperture has to be kind of the still has to be the stand-in i mean that's kind of a tfl issue as well to be honest with you they that i did not know it was in 2021 when that thing was exploited i knew it was exploited i thought it was like a few weeks prior though i had no idea it was in 2021 yeah you I can guess... fact check me on that but i'm, I'm like pretty positive no. it was multiple yeah, think, months before i think you're right and what's crazy it must have just because i know mirror was becoming a ghost ship i knew it wasn't really getting all that much use by just zero liquidity um, and then from the investor standpoint, yeah, I mean, people get mad when they lose a lot of money and, you know, everyone was confused and angry, but uh -huh. it is a shame that the people who were like creating tools for others to take advantage of, you weren't actually controlling mirror. Like, you, you are not Doquan, like, or you're not, you're not the development team behind some of this stuff and people, no, no. people then just take it out on you. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. It's just. I mean, it's the nature as as we get all used to DeFi and really accessible tools. That's just kind of the nature of things. But so you've overall, you say though that you've you've seen an improvement in communication with how people are now reacting to Aperture because there's there's been time for the dust to settle and you can now sit down and be like, okay, look, like we built these strategies. We were not building these protocols. We were just trying to help others um, achieve you know easy yield farming strategies. Yeah, yeah. I think the core, like the the users who are really who have still stuck around with DeFi, they understood that. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of these people that were upset were just kind of like the retail that overly exposed themselves to Terra, Anchor, Earn, whatever they had aped into, and were just angry, angry at themselves and needed needed someone yeah. to scream at. And I hear, like, I understand, like, I I totally sympathize with. People who are upset about how everything went down, I myself lost a ton of, like, you know, almost 50% of my crypto holdings got mm -hmm. wiped out in that one week because I was heavily exposed to Terra as well. So I totally get their anger, but unfortunately, there's just nothing, you know, nothing right. you could do about it. No, 
no, there's really, there's, there's nothing you could do. And I'm with you. I mean, I sympathize with the people who are affected deeply by, it. I mean, I, I was crushed and all my peers were crushed and all, all the lunatics were crushed. It was a very just shocking 72 yeah. hours seeing something that had such a epic rise <laughs> to such an epic downfall. <laughs> yeah. I was, sitting, I was sitting in a call like that when the peg went to like this, when I, when the, when the call went to 60 cents with a couple of the lunatics and we're just looking at this thing, like guys, I, I just said, guys, it's over and no one, no one could believe it. It was just, it was just so weird. Um, especially when you've been, you had invested not only, money but also just personal time into um trying to see if this thing could actually uh come to fruition which fortunately it did not but you know it's great seeing projects bounce back and have resilience and and learn these lessons and then i i guess is there an aspect of education to all of this and just a general lack of it in the DeFi space you know people should know what impermanent loss is or uh the fact that you know these yield strategies they, there's risk to them and um you know people need to I guess what what do you think is the most effective way to teach people about the risk of DeFi? Um, it's something that I've always tried to wrap my head around, and I dabble in DeFi. I'm not a DeFi native. It's just one of the, I mean, I try to be pretty generalist in all of my topics as I speak to just projects all over the crypto spectrum. But where do you think it stands as the most valuable area you can point to people being like, here's how you sit down and understand what decentralized finance is at its core? I think it really depends on who the audience is. I would like, I personally, I don't recommend DeFi to anyone. <laughs> like I'm not a DeFi evangelist uh, for people who aren't crypto, like already have some kind of crypto knowledge or understanding um, because it is really, really easy to lose money in DeFi even when you have not been outright scammed or exploited. There's just ways that like you yourself can personally like mess something up. <laughs> just setting up a transaction um but i think like a good example of this is when i first tried to like i was trying to put a little bit of money into uh olympus dow back mm -hmm. like a year ago yeah and just like i had never actually done something before i I'd never actually done something involved like complicated swaps to get into a position before and i didn't really like map it out in my head and ended up paying eth gas like four or five times Oh. for what was supposed to be a small test transaction. And I was like, oh my God, I've spent over a hundred dollars just trying to put a few hundred dollars into this like totally speculative, ridiculous sounding protocol. <laughs> um, so there's lots of like those kind of mistakes you can make in DeFi. And yeah, so I, I personally don't recommend it to people who, uh, yeah, right, don't, don't have some crypto understanding right. already. Um, but but I think this is what the, the job of apertures and other protocols in the space that are doing good work, like friction on Solana, um, who are making some strategies just very easy. Like it's essentially the requirement is you need to have gotten a wallet and need to basically generally understand the flow of like signing a transaction for the wallet. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that and you can like read the literature on one of our strategies or something that friction does, then you can get access to some of this DeFi yield. Um, and I think Anchor Earn was also like quite good for that as well. It was even more basic. Um, and, and that was like kind of one of the, the marketing beauties of what Terra Classic did do. But as it stands, I think the industry as a whole needs to just make the products 
simpler to use and also i probably would not get too oriented with like super newbie retail investors at the moment i think the the, the job now is to like keep the core audience the DeFi natives and to bring in more like savvy like trad by investors into yeah. the space who have some existing knowledge of traditional finance and can kind of like leverage that to quickly understand some of the concepts in DeFi. But um, yeah, as it is like what we're doing, we're not here trying to like bring DeFi to the like developing countries and like help people who don't have banking accounts get access right. to yield. Like something we would like the industry to eventually get to, but I think we're still a few years out from that being mm -hmm. something that we can responsibly do at scale. I'm just kind of speaking from my own personal opinion here. This no, maybe think... doesn't reflect the rest of yeah um, my team but yeah i feel like that's kind of where, where we stand it's like crypto natives and finance natives are the market that uh i think we should focus on the most at the moment i think you're spot on with that and i remember a lot of people back at the terra days and the glory days and this is when i started getting a little sketched out when it was just some rando on twitter telling me about oh yeah i took my anchor or anchor earn whatever and then I went through the magic internet money degen box and I looped uh, it 20 times. I'm like, uh -huh. what? <laughs> and then I'm saying to myself, like, you you do understand the the death spiral scenario of your of your liquidations here. They're like, kind of, not really. And there was just things like that where people knew they were taking on risk, but I don't think they actually ever visualized it until it all went downhill. Um, and that's the danger of playing around with some of these protocols. There's also, you know, great potential upside if you know what you're doing and how to manage things like risk. Um, so yeah, I think you're spot on that. Like right now it's, it is very complex and for an average, like, you know, me personally, I enjoy dabbling once in a while, but, uh, I just, I don't understand some of these things enough to be the person going between three different protocols um and leveraging certain positions to gain maximum yield uh, i would rather just hit one click and, and go through the whole thing without having to know much a pass from like okay this is this is basically what i'm doing um yeah I just click a few times and it's all set up for me um and then you know it would be good to get more uh tradfi savvy individuals to be then messing around with some of these things and adopting some of these things because as a general that will just help boost the uh the DeFi space i think and and give it a little bit more uh, of a prop up in that sense uh, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. Um, there's things, there's certain concepts, you know, I, I've spoken to a couple different projects where it's like impermanent loss, like people never understood what that was. Um, how do we better educate people on those kinds of very niche uh, topics and terms, but also very impactful <laughs> when it comes to things like yield or um, yield farming or anything of that nature. Uh, McDavid, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Before we get into our wrapping up questions, though, I do want to ask you a couple final things about Aperture. Um, yeah. The first is chain support. So I know you're going omni-chain. Uh, actually, these, these questions tie in together, so why not just put them both together? But basically, what's the rundown of what people and listeners can look for in the next couple months, medium, short-term time frame from Aperture? Um, and I guess also if you can share any information, what chains are you looking to support? in this process yeah yeah we just i actually just got off the like finance mvb like their incubator program mm -hmm. pitch day call where we, this was kind of one of the things we were supposed to cover in our pitch so definitely top of mind at the moment um yeah so like 
aperture roadmap and chain supported. So we will have basically, um, I'm gonna list like four different strategies that are on the roadmap. It's likely two to three of them will get launched um, just to be realistic with as things shake out. But basically like the four right. product, the four chain slash strategies we're looking at is Solana, basically a very similar crab market leveraged farming strategy. Um, so there are Alpha Homora equivalents on Solana, like Frenchium and Tulip, where we could launch that strategy as well. Um, the other thing is on Arbitrum or Avalanche, uh, GMX. So GMX has been really hot right now, even in this market. And it's because it's a great protocol and it has really good tokenomics. Um, and there are people who basically want to get exposure to GLP, but want to hedge out some of the, the risks. Like, you know, GLP is effectively an index of like blue chip crypto um, that also has exposure to like traders, wins and losses within that pool. Mm. So there's ways you can hedge out the risk there, but still get access to that like 20 to 30% yield they pay out on GLP staking. So we're we're also exploring launching kind of a GLP hedging strategy on Avalanche or Arbitrum. Um, then the other thing is uh, Aptos. We have announced we're going to build um, a strategy on Aptos, likely starting with mm -hmm. an auto compounder. Um, that chain, this is sort of like for us chasing the product market fit narrative. That chain has a ton of hype um, and we expect uh usage and tvl to be pretty good there from day one so we want to take advantage of that and be an early builder on aptos and of course there's also more complex structured products we could bring to that chain um the other thing is on injective so we've gotten a grant from injective um to basically build a, a basis trading vault which is a uh, quick tldr basis trading is like uh on these perp markets there's a funding rate so like if there's more people long than there are short, then the longs pay the shorts and vice mm -hmm. versa. And there's a way to basically like you just buy the spot market or short the spot market and then do the opposite trade on the perp market. And you can kind of like take advantage of that uh, arbitrage opportunity. And that trade in particular, that's like a super TradFi classic structured yeah. product or, or arbitrage opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we'll look to bring that to bring that one on chain to injective as well. But um, yeah, that's sort of our, our roadmap with regards to chain. So there's everything from, you know, ETH to Avalanche to Solana, Aptos, Cosmos ecosystem. We got plenty going on there. You guys have uh, yeah. no, no shortage of things to do in the next few months, that's for sure. Exactly. Great to hear. Uh, my final question for you today. So we usually like to end these on a fun fact related note, something that's outside mm -hmm. of crypto or just a complete wild card of a question. Um, and I, I have a fun one today. Uh, mm -hmm. And the question is, would you rather go in the past and meet your ancestors or go in the future and meet your great, great grandkids? Uh, ancestors. Interesting. And the Why? reason is, I think... Knowing the future in general um, seems like a bit more of a wild card to me in terms of how I would view my own current life because I already struggle to accept whether or not there is free will, whether anyone has agency, or we're all kind of just like a collection of atoms that have been flung out from the Big Bang and 
are moving in sort of a predetermined kind of random path. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if I met my great great grandkids, then I would sort of like have some insight into what future me did and what future me's offspring did. And that would sort of like tether me to this one path in life. And I, I don't know if that would like kind of mess with me psychologically, but I think meeting your ancestors would sort of give you some like insights into your journey and where you came from. And that might be more comforting in the present right. moment than you get the anxiety like the, of <laughs> the wisdom of your past, of, of your, your past uh, family. Exactly. Members. Yeah. Exactly. And if you go down the great, great grandkids route, it's going to be back to the future. <laughs> like, scary um am i gonna be stuck in this role or or is this or did i just ruin everything because i went you could break things who knows maybe you break the entire timeline because you went to the future yeah 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 so that's an interesting one (laughs) that's a fun question though i'm like uh i'm trying to get i'm trying to go more and more outside just with the wild things i can ask at the end there so i I appreciate you playing along today and uh (laughs) answering that one but before we wrap up here mcdavid where should listeners go to learn more about Aperture? Um, what's the best place to send them on their on their website or Twitter? Uh, and where can they go to get involved with the community? Yep. Uh, so the web app is app.aperture.finance. And then you can also follow us on Twitter at Aperture Finance. Yeah. Perfect. And for all those who are either listening or watching, all those links will be in the show notes down below. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining me today. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing how Aperture continues to build out. And it's great to see you guys have really come back from uh, a pretty awful situation in terms of the terror crash to just pushing ahead and keep on going. So I look forward to seeing how things uh, continue on for the Aperture team.